you take a permaculture course, you're not going to recover. You're never going to see the world in any other way. You're going to see it as a design approach to making things better for yourself, your friends, your family and your neighbours. Whether by a nuclear disaster, pandemic or catastrophic climate event, the apocalypse has many possible faces. But this podcast isn't about how it will happen or even what would happen if it did. It's about how we'd rebuild the staples of our societies if we had a completely blank slate to start again. This is Starting From Scratch, I'm Oli Guillou. This podcast asks if we had a clean slate to start again knowing everything we know now, could we do it better next time? By the way, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, check out some of the other shows I produce, including New Scientist Weekly and Behind the Spine over at ogpodcasts.co.uk. So in today's episode, I'm finding out about permaculture. What is it and how could it make our new world more sustainable? My guest today is Jeff Lawton, founder of the Permaculture Research Institute and world-renowned permaculture consultant. Permaculture's in the most concise form a system of design but to uh, elaborate on that it's actually a system of design that follows an ethical design science approach the intention of that design science in every way guided by ethics always based and guided by ethics is to provide all the needs absolutely all the needs of humanity in a way that's beneficial to both the planet and all its living components and non-living components and people in that matrix. Now, if you look at that as a panacea for all the problems we have, which are caused by people, it actually infects people with a new approach where we can become the most beneficial element on earth instead of the most damaging element. And that's presently where we stand. We're the most damaging element. But everything out there in the universe is a kind of balance. So if we can be as bad as we are, we can be equally good. So population is not a problem when we're all behaving well. So it's, it, it's really a, a system of design that allows you to see the way you can direct your actions to be the most beneficial component. But it feels like with humanity set up in the way it is, and as you say, we're the most damaging component of the earth right now, rather than uh, one which sort of fits in and, and integrates. Um, it feels like we're destined to play that role. And, and every year, as each decade rolls on, our impact on the environment just worsens. Um, and so whilst permaculture sounds like an incredible idea to integrate is it is it feasible can we can we go from the state we're in now to a state where we are becoming part of the ecosystem and actually beneficial to it well we don't have a choice because we will be excluded if we don't and therefore we won't have the opportunity i mean there is no option we're losing the game and um, we can be wiped out by very tiny things like little organisms that completely disrupt all our very precious lifestyles and our precious economies and our precious industries can be wiped out by a tiny little virus in no time. Um, and we can't even see it. So 
we're not stood on a very stable ground. We're so disconnected from nature, and nature can can obliterate us at quite quickly. Um, so, you know, all our wonderful information networks, like we're talking on now, and all our economies and all our industries can be just dismantled and and collapse quite quickly. So, you know, we we need to um, stop being so ar- arrogant about this and uh, look at living resources. And um, the ecosystems have stood the test of time and they are truly sustainable in life capturing energy through diverse interactions. So this is what we need to pay attention to. And um, it's literally a panacea of approach. If we don't design our way out of this problem, it won't design a very nice result for us. And obviously, um, I mentioned how our impact on the climate is just getting worse. But then there is also the the revolution, the climate revolution, the knowledge, the science. People are waking up to the impact that we're having, which, although it's currently not a great situation to be in with the extreme weather events that we're experiencing, potentially it's enough of a call to action for people to start making a difference. Um, Since 1997, have you seen... Uh, since you founded the Permaculture Research Institute, have you seen a change in mood and a a change in ideology um, from people maybe not understanding or not caring so much about climate change to the position that we're in now and potentially backing the permaculture movement more strongly? Exponentially. I mean, we don't go out preaching because we haven't got time. We can't keep up with the inquiry coming in our direction, and it's always been that way. (laughs) But right now, people are jumping ship so quick. They're jumping ship without very much backup information at all. So every time there's a problem, every time the world doesn't look so secure, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it was the year 2000, when everyone was going to stop, or 9-11, or you know, Trump's political approaches, or now the COVID approach, I have never seen people jump over towards an alternative lifestyle so quick without the normal basic knowledge information that they've already gathered. You know, we've had courses recently where people have none of the basic knowledge or none of the basic information that most people have already sourced before they come to a course. They just know, I want out, I want now, I know I've got to do something. I've got to find some some professional way of going about this and a design science approach is just what I'm looking for. I need something rational that I can then apply. I can take principles and convert them into directives to act. People want to act. And we're seeing this with people moving from cities to country you know there's never been such a large exodus all over the world often people were putting it off oh i'll do it later when i've earned enough money for my retirement or whatever but people now they say no i'm doing it now i want to get out now i can see how vulnerable we are how do i do it and i'm willing to find the answers and enjoy the journey this is the thing we you can be it should be a very enjoyable journey the problem is the solution is a very much a permaculture saying. So um, all of these problems have been solutions to uh, increase the number of people in action. And the more people in action, the more we're learning and the more we're coming up with better and better design systems. And does it require for permaculture to take over 
globally, um, at least in Western civilizations, potentially, I don't know how big the movement is in other parts of the world, but does it require a huge, uh, large-scale governmental approach, or is permaculture very much something that the individual can take control of? I think it operates much better under sedition, where we don't need authority to act. It's not illegal to be organic and um, grow your own food, deal with your own wastewater, produce your own energy, capture your own drinking water, set up you know, local economies and trading systems, none of that's actually illegal. So you don't need any authority. Some places there are a few challenges. You know, some cities don't allow you to have chickens, but, you know, you can have other small animals in systems. You don't need a large amount of land. You can live a permaculture life without access to land, actually. You can access Hmm. land through other people. We have students who operate little systems on small balconies and and high-rise buildings, tiny little gardens in extreme climates, from every climate actually, from the coldest to the hottest to the driest and most humid. We're we're global. Nobody's seen permaculture coming, and particularly the internet has made a very big difference. So it's kind of like stealth. It's it's creeping up on the um, status quo. And it's there as this massive support system uh, that people can tap into at any time. And you can talk to anybody who's taken a permaculture design certificate course and ask them how much it changed their, their life and how much it changed their view of, of reality. And they'll always say, it completely changed my view of what's possible. And, and it gives people great hope. They come out of a, a, a course and wow, I've got a really practical approach and I can start right now. You know, I can enjoy it. It's fun. In fact, we have a saying: if it's if you're not if it's not fun, you've got the design wrong. And actually, that's um, in terms of the holistic approach that you're talking about. That's where the community aspect of it comes into play, right? And developing stronger, more interconnected communities who are happy to help each other. Yeah. How do people though? Uh, you say it, it can be enjoyable, and and I think you know for many you know, who uh, live uh, the comforts of, of the modern world, of the modern of modern life right now, it can seem like such a stretch to believe they'll f- find comfort and, and happiness in a permaculture world. And yet here you are, you know, plenty of people with their own testimonials. How do you get people to get over that hump in their head that they're maybe going to lose out on some of the comforts of, the, of, of modern life, but they will be happier? I think that's hard to get your head around for, for many. <laughs> yeah, well, we're so so we're so absent from the real world, but um, it, it, it's very interesting. Right now, you have so much access to video and high definition video. You can see all kinds of stuff online, but uh, we've also set up a lot of projects and funded a lot of aid projects as well with Airbnb permaculture systems, where you can come and dip your toe in the water if you want. And uh, use a compost mm. toilet and uh, live on completely off-grid solar power with, you know, very efficient batteries and um, have solar hot water for your showers and um, have all your waste systems benefiting your growing systems, gardens, food forests, desert oasis, strawbell buildings. You can do all that in, in Jordan if you like. You can go to desert countries and go Airbnb, desert, strawbell, date palm overstory food forest oasis with all the trimmings they're coming up everywhere they're very popular 
people want to know, well, what would it be like? Maybe we should go, you know, as a family and experience it for a weekend or a week and um, see what it's like. We have those systems set up with organic cafes so you can have a cappuccino and an organic meal while you're there as well. Permaculture adapts to whatever's relevant to this point in history, and those things are relevant. Destination dining is is relevant right now. So people will drive to a site like this and have an amazing meal, you know, with the garden as a backdrop and a food forest outside of that with small animals and large animals. And you can do it, you know, raw food, vegan, vegetarian, or or keto carnivore if you want. It, it, it It's all catered for. Those are just interesting design challenges. And, and I say interesting. It's not great hardship. Actually, people find that um, their life experience seems to extend because everything you're doing is meaningful and um, your memories um, seem to be very high definition, technicolor, almost slow motion, where when you're bored doing some money-making job that you're really doing just for the money but you don't really enjoy it, Time goes really slowly and drags, especially, you know, the last half an hour on Friday afternoon. And when you look back on your memories, they're all black and white, fuzzy, with no definition at all because you don't remember things that are so boring. But when you, when you have a meaningful life and you're engaged in all these living things and everything's quite interesting all day and you're stimulated by the whole process, and engaged in learning it as you're experiencing it. You know, time doesn't drag, but when you look back on your memories, it feels like every year is like 10 years. It feels like you've lived an enormously long life. So people say to me, oh, you know, doesn't time fly? I say, no, it doesn't. Not for me. Time goes really slow. When I look back on my memories, they're enormous because that's all you own. You, you don't own the future. It hasn't happened, and it might not happen for you. And this is the now. You and I are talking. but the memories you have are what you actually carry forward with you. And if, if it's all a bit of a blur, you've probably had a pretty boring life. You know? When we feel meaningful and we're engaged in things we think have good purpose, it's actually really good for your health as well. There are many things that are good for your health. It's not just food and exercise. There are many things, mental stimulation, etc. But your position, feeling like you have a great purpose and you're doing something really worthwhile, that's, that's an incredible benefit to your health. So let, let's talk about some of the mutually beneficial synergies that uh, permaculture brings together, integrating land, resources, people and the environment. So I suppose, in simple terms, what are some of these synergies and, and how, do, how do they work? Well, like an ecosystem, it's all about connections and beneficial connections. So ecosystems are very diverse. They have a lot of different components. And every component does more than one job. And every job is covered by more than one component. So everything that we design into a system is designed to perform many functions. Even a building or a structure can be designed to have a heat source on one side and a cool source on the other side, be a windbreak, be a water catch, you know, and all of that can be designed to go somewhere else. So the water can go to a garden and the heat can be brought into the house or if you're in a hot climate, the cold can be brought into the house. The wind can be buffered in a cold climate or it can be invited in a hot climate. Animals that are in the system they actually uh, perform functions as well. Many of them are actually 
removing vegetation or they're scratching the ground, they're manuring the ground, they're adding extra components in that are food. Any waste food goes back to soil creation. So there's an endless set of interactions between components that we design. So it's complex, but it's interesting. It's much more interesting than chess. It's like a very, very complex (laughs) game of chess, but the components change and the board changes in shape and form. So everything we design actually harmonizes with the energy that's all around us anyway. The landscape you're in is a rounded landscape in England, and it's been shaped by water. But if you went further south, as you got into the drier climates near North Africa, it would be an angular landscape shaped by heat and wind. Now, those, those are patterns. There are patterns on the, on the shorelines where it's continuously changing with the motion of the ocean and waves. There are patterns on the edges of rivers. There's a lot of patterning in permaculture. Permaculture is very much about patterning. Patterns out there in the world are formed by pressure between two different media, and they're everywhere around us. So when we assemble components so that they perform more than one function and we pattern it in a way that we benefit from the harvest, that's how we make very, very efficient systems. When you look at the agricultural landscape and even the built landscape, the cities and towns, modern cities and towns and modern agriculture, it doesn't look like that at all. It's all grids and lines and straight and monoculture and it lacks diversity and it lacks pattern form. Nothing in nature is like that. That's an anti-nature pattern. And of course, if you left it alone, nature would take it over. So where the systems we install harmonize with natural systems and actually start to diversify themselves. They increase in diversity and they demonstrate their own evolutions. So as we build systems, we continue to observe the systems and interact with the evolutions of those systems. We allow the system to demonstrate how it would like to evolve. That's very different from forcing the shape onto a landscape as an agriculture or an urban development. That's very, very different. Isn't it amazing, though, that we had nature this whole time as this great teacher and we could have replicated what it was showing us, these amazingly integrated systems, and yet we didn't evolve systems like that. We, we decided to go against the grain. I'm surprised that we didn't spot these patterns sooner as, as a race, as a species. Well, it was kind of arrogance, but then a lot of indigenous cultures and traditional cultures have quite a lot of natural patterns in their symbolism. When we, when we look at the systems we've developed, we took a position where we stepped outside of nature or thought we were stepping outside of nature and we forced patterns onto the landscape. So, you know, there are, there are forced functions and there are permitted functions. And we have to work within the permitted functions that allows us to integrate with. So when you're looking at our systems, they're continuously evolving and we're continuously developing better and better results. A sustainable system actually needs to be, you need to be able to define sustainability in one sentence, and that's very important. And it's, it's very simply an energy audit. A sustainable system produces more energy than it consumes, 
enough to maintain and replace that system over its lifetime or the components of that system's lifetimes. Now, to do that, you have to link to living systems, and living systems are linked to the, the energy of the sun. So, you know, you can't create a system that produces more energy than it consumes without being linked to living resources. So living resources are fueled by the sun. You and I are fueled by the sun. The plants we're eating or the animals we're eating at plants, and those plants created their bodies through photosynthesis and capturing base sugars and starches. And this is the carbon capture. If we ignore this, then we degrade nature. And a simple test on the ground is, are we creating soil? Are we degrading soil? Or are we actually building soil? Are we creating soil? Nature banks its surplus energy in soil fertility and soil creation. If we don't do the same thing on ground, we're going extinct. No question about it. It's just a matter of time. Now, when we look at a lot of our, most of our urban settlement and our city developments, there's not enough living components in there. When we look at our agriculture, there's not enough trees in agriculture. Ecosystems major in trees. So when you look at our agriculture lacks trees, and so do our urban developments and cities, they need to be 70 to 80% forest. Otherwise, they, they just won't be sustainable. So in a way, looking at my thought experiment through the lens of each individual topic almost isn't the, the right way to do it. It should be, if we were starting from scratch, what holistic approach could we take to make meaningful change and do something different with this new world? Absolutely. It would have to be, the importance has to be on the connectivity. It's a connecting system between disciplines that will create the saving system. And it has to be designed. It won't just position itself for us. And it has to conform with natural patterns. And that's a very interesting subject that's not much taught. The right patterning captures energy and slows down entropic loss. So energy is constant, just transfers from one form to another. But energy is constant, but entropy is constantly increasing. Entropy is energy that was captured once it's left once it's dissipated from one element to another. So what we need to do with good design, through designing the con connectivity, we need to slow down entropic loss. Energy needs to spend longer within our systems. And when we do that, we clean up all the rivers, we have less floods, we have less trouts, and we have more life diversity. And life gets really good, very nice, very pleasant, very beautiful. Up until we're four years old, we're totally in tune with this because we're kind of wow all the time. Up until you're four years old, everything around you is kind of, you're in a state of wonder. Everything's wow, look at that. As adults, we sometimes go back to that when we see a beautiful view or a beautiful sunset or walk in a rainforest or walk in a beautiful woodland. We get a few moments of, wow, that's amazing. We need, <laughs> we need to be in that state of wonder a little bit more. We need to appreciate that a little bit more. We watch wildlife programs. We watch David Attenborough. We watch all these things and we get a sense of wonder. But that, that's the magic design teacher is there in the natural system. 
And it's the soft sciences that are very, very hard to measure because they're, they're continuously evolving, they're continuously changing. The very act of measuring them can change them. It's not a hard science that will save us. It's the soft sciences of life. Now, I want to um, touch on the thought experiment itself. And so I'm giving you a little bit, you know, extra ability to sort of make permaculture global, I guess, in this new world. Because I, I know that the Institute says that settled areas, agricultural lands currently, they all need drastic rehabilitation and rethinking. But if you were to start from scratch and take the world from a blank slate, how would you build it up the next time? What would you do to make sure that the sort of ideals of permaculture were built into the system? We'd have to look at mapping and we'd look at, look at our landscape forms and um, we'd settle appropriate areas in relation to slope and area. At the moment, a lot of areas are settled that are inappropriate landscape forms and um, we can do that today with lidar mapping very well we do it very well in our systems now it's amazing but um, we'd look at agriculture as something that would be illegal unless you can prove you're creating soil so you'd have to be improving soil or creating soil to be involved in agricultural production then we'd look at the sustainability of that product in the way it's transported Unless you can prove that you can transport food and, and produce around the world and not spend more energy on that transporting than the energy contained in the product or the value energy of the product. So if it's food, it's a calorific value. So we'd, we'd have to look at the efficiency of the way we move food and product around. So when we come to the products that we need, uh, let's say our houses, and any hard infrastructure. We'd have to look at an energy audit of the components, the embodied energy, and their lifetime. So all components that we produce, any, any hard infrastructure, we've got to look at the lifetime of the product over the pollution of manufacture and the embodied energy of the elements when they were initially produced. So we energy audit everything. Very carefully, a house should catch its own water, heat itself and cool itself and have the minimum amount of embodied energy over the lifetime of the product. So it needs to be very long lasting, the embodied energy of manufacture, right? And the energy it saves in the way it's designed. Architects of houses and all infrastructure should be paid on the amount of energy they save in the way it's designed. So the, the minimum need of energy consumption of all infrastructure. Now, that's the same with any, any machinery. Is it recyclable? Is it reusable? Is it long-lasting? Is it easily replaced? So minimizing some of our, we don't have to totally exclude it, but minimizing things like fashion for the sake of fashion, design for the sake of design. Let's appreciate design for its efficiency, it can still have style. Of course, it can still have style. But can it be reused? Can we minimize its, its energy consumption in manufacture? Can we maximize its longevity of use? And can we make it very easily replaceable? So we, we would need to really look at energy auditing everything. And then our transport systems, 
you know, what are the most efficient transport systems for us? And today we could do this very rapidly if we maintain the communication systems we have. One of the big advantages we have right now is we are communicating globally and that is changing things. So it's no problem at all on the ground because it simply comes back to a soil equation. We actually are so efficient in permaculture design, we can produce the same amount of nutrition, and I say nutrition, not food, because there's a big difference. A lot of food today is produced just because of weight and not nutrition, low nutrition, but large weight. But if you look at it, we can produce the same amount of nutrition on 4 to 6% of the equivalent area used by agriculture globally. Because agriculture wastes so much food and then it's wasted in transport and then it's wasted in end sale point and then it's enormous amount of energy in manufacture, production and transport. When we grow food locally, urban agriculture and perimeter urban agriculture, the efficiency is enormous. Now, if we were paid on the lack of energy needed to produce our food and the nutrition, we'd be the richest farmers on earth. No problem about it. But what we have to do to do that is we have to bring food production back to the cities, back to the population and the perimeter of the population, perimeter urban agriculture. And then outside of that, rangeland and forestry. The rangeland is on the shallower slopes and the forestry is on the steeper slopes on the larger area outside of the perimeter urban agriculture. And that gives you an efficiency of 4 to 6% of land required over what's used today. It's so inefficient, agriculture, as it's used today. It's mainly just used to exploit the soil, exploit the land, exploit people, and just make money. Now, a lot of people say, oh, but we couldn't do that because, you know, you wouldn't be able to eat certain foods. and uh, That's just rubbish. There are so many foods that we don't eat because they're not convenient for modern agriculture. Modern agriculture specializes in just a very limited number of crops that are very easily produced en masse. I'll give you one example here. Eric Tonesmeyer and Jonathan Bates in Holyoke, Massachusetts in America, where they get at least two, two feet, you know, 60 centimeters of snow every year. They trialed on a quarter acre block of land 300 perennial food species and settled on their favorite 200 and wrote a whole book about it. These are a couple of permaculture people, quite famous, uh, lecturer at Yale University, Eric Tosmeyer. 300 and settled on the top 200 in a climate that's colder than most of Great Britain because a lot of the crops, we don't even know about these things. They're not convenient for agriculture. But just imagine the nutritional value of something like that in all of our suburbs. Then we're completely missing out on this stuff. And yet we're worried about losing out on donuts and, uh, there are and better pizza. Donuts. I think that's probably worth There are better donuts. You can make donuts. You can make donuts out of the most unusual things. The industrialists, industrialized agriculture is not agriculture. Agriculture comes from the words agrarian and culture. Agrarian means the soil. Culture means the refinement of people's systems. It, 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 the abetterment. You, you're not better in the soil. You're destroying the soil. It's the most destructive thing on earth, agriculture, because we are not replacing the soil, we're destroying. The average crops on earth, and there's only 
A few traded on the stock market now. Soybeans, rice, wheat, potatoes and maize are the only ones traded on the stock market. They average 200 tonnes per hectare per year soil loss globally and can peak at 400 tonnes per hectare. You can't keep doing that. The soil is our base resource. And what we're doing is we're destroying ecosystems to find more soil. And we're going on to steeper and steeper land. And we're saying we can't feed the world. We can't feed the world because we're going in the completely unnatural direction. Using production systems, they're alive, they are living, but they're totally unnatural monocultures on massive areas that don't do anything for the ecosystem itself. They're not an ecosystem. We can produce all our needs and most of our resources from productive ecosystems, but we have to design them. Now, since the mid-middle ages, we have diversified the potential of our food 800 times. But we've actually, we've actually reduced the amount of food we eat considerably since the 1950s when 12 foods were traded on the stock market. Now there's just five. <laughs> you know, it, it's economically valuable, but it, it, it's not environmentally sustainable and it won't last so what you're going to have is is you kind of have a revolution of people that realize what's going on and people that don't and you're going to get polarization and fractionalized groups and you know there's going to have to be some control measures coming in to keep people stable and you mentioned not being able to feed the world but obviously there's the obesity epidemic as well at the same time i suppose permaculture solves both of those problems well, obesity is about low-quality food as well and low-quality physical action. So, you know, if you, if you don't eat extremely fresh food that's extremely local, the best food you can eat is minimum food miles or zero food miles and zero food time and zero food guilt and a lot of local diversity. But you also need to have good physical action. So you need to be in action and you need to have some physical exercise where you're aerobic, core strength, balance, stretch, and um, some muscle work. And, you, you know, your physical strength comes in. But you, your food needs to be very fresh and very local. You need to have mental stimuli. You need to get good sleep, not too many vices or none at all. And feel like you're doing something meaningful. So all of this is provided by permaculture for sure. But it's... People think this is a very big challenge, but actually when they engage in it, they find it something that's absolutely engaging and something really, really exciting. So they actually get terminally infected. So, you know, you take a permaculture course, you're not going to recover. You're never going to see the world in any other way. You're going to see it as a design approach to making things better for yourself, your friends, your family, and your neighbours. So more and more people are engaging. And um, we need to get to a tipping point of about 11 to 18%, and then it'll all just go in our direction. Well, I'm just imagining now this new world. I can see that, you know, houses built differently. I can see zero waste. I can see fit, healthy people growing their own food. Um, so finally, I just want you to imagine that we are starting from square one. We are starting with this clean slate. What does the world look like to you now? Well, time scouting is a part of 
advanced permaculture design, so I have to time scout backwards and time scout forwards in what the potential is. And um, it's gloriously abundant, actually, when you time scout forward with the potential of permaculture. The world is extremely abundant, very, very fertile, extremely species diverse. Cities almost don't look like cities at all as we know them today. Agriculture definitely doesn't look like it looks today. They're very integrated into ecosystem type form, but with very novel ecosystems, not not like we actually see in nature as you, this looks like a rainforest, that looks like a prairie, or this looks like a, a, a desert or, you know, or a woodland. No, more of an actual improvement on nature, which we definitely are allowed to do, a more diverse woodland, a more abundant rainforest, a more green and lush desert situation where you have desert species, but there's like a, a spreading oasis mosaic. It's very hard to tell whether, you know, animals that we're managing are wild or not, or whether orchards and are natural forests that are just happen to be full of like edible species. Gardens, crop systems are um, a lot smaller in a lot of cases, uh, larger in the cool climates, medium in the tropics, and very small in the deserts. But they, they look like extremely diverse, very, very attractive looking mixed plant systems. A lot of wildlife interacting still, and uh, people averaging. About 10 to 12 hours work a week. Oh, that sounds nice. That's quite normal. That's absolutely normal. That's what we achieve in permaculture all the time, right, on on the systems we design. You know, the average hunter and gatherer only does a 500-hour year when you you go and look at the studies, right, the real studies. You know, a good organic gardener, you know, might do 800 hours a year. We, as industrialised Westerners, we do a 2,000-hour year. Some people do a 3,000-hour year. That's a 60-hour week. And what have we got to show for that, say, average 2,000? 40-hour week, 2,000-hour year. What have we got to show for that? Gadgets. That's about it. There isn't much else. When you look at permaculture people and you say you're working towards a designed hunter-gatherer system, you could kind of call it, you're looking at a 10 to 12 hour week, you do an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening, half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening at the weekends. So for five days a week, you do an hour in the morning, an hour in the evening. At Saturday and Sunday, you do a half an hour in the morning, half an hour in the evening. Now, you think, well, what, who are these people? What are they like? Now, what are permaculture people like? You can't find anything common about permaculture people. They're all really mixed. They're very, very diverse. A permaculture group of people scares politicians. A local politician comes and sees a permaculture group and kind of goes, wow, who's this mob? Who are these people? This represents the whole of the voting block. There must be 20 or 30 people for every, maybe 50 people for every person in the room who thinks the same way in my, in, in my local constituents. I'm looking political death in the eye if I if I don't know what these people are about. There's only one thing we can find common about permaculture people. They're all prepared to think through problems into solutions. We kind of create people who become thinkers. If, if you like, they become environmental academics. Design, environmental design 
academics that your kind of memory gets better your your academic ability gets better on this subject on this subject living this way and why wouldn't it anybody would desire this lifestyle it's very <laughs> sellable and but you know like you say some people say oh i couldn't do it it'd be too hard but you complicated no that's the bit that actually becomes a terminal infection it does sound like an absolutely beautiful world uh, the blank slate and in fact it sounds like it doesn't need a blank slate at all in terms of how you see the future it's a very real future which um could come with with time and maybe not so much time well it's polarized right now the world's getting better and better and worse and worse at the same time so the opportunities getting better and better but the problems getting worse and worse so when we're not there yet they're equalizing each other <laughs> still but we need to get to that tipping point where it all starts going in a better direction. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll slide into it very nicely. And we'll check in about this thought experiment when that does happen. Jeff Lawton, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thanks to Jeff Lawton and to you for listening. I'm Ollie Gew and this is Starting From Scratch. If you have any topics you'd like me to discuss, you can get in touch with me directly by visiting ogpodcasts.co.uk.